Live from the heart of Lincoln, America, welcome to Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Welcome back. Tom Stevens, Mike Melby, Husker Rewind. Every Sunday, 5 to 7, always fun to talk to Brian Christofferson uh, and Husker Hoops. We talk a lot of Husker football with him as well, and he will definitely be back before the Husker basketball season is over. Um, you mentioned NIL, and we talked about NIL, and I wonder how much Nebraska is going to be a beneficiary of NIL uh, going forward. It's It's been a really good offseason. I mean, in fact, the best offseason that I can remember in a while for recruiting. Now, Scott Frost had some really good four stars and, <laughs> and brought in uh, some, some really good recruiting classes. And then I think COVID hit. He lost a lot of his Florida class. But this has been good. Obviously, the momentum of Dylan Riola has really helped because it led to the recruitment of a running back you finally got. Dante uh, Dowdell. Um, yeah, Dante Dowdell. You get, uh, I thought the Micah Mazuka thing was bigger than some people realize, and that kind of came out of nowhere. You get uh, uh, Stephen Thompson, uh, the linebacker. I think he transferred from Syracuse. Some, from Syracuse. Played for Tony White. Uh, Jamal Banks. Yep who's already apparently developed a little bit of a chemistry with Dylan Riola. Forrest, yep. And you get Isaiah Nayor as well, yep. uh, the wide receiver transfer from Texas. That's pretty good. Uh, you get two wide receivers. You get a marquee running back, I think. Uh, you get a really good offensive guard, one of the better offensive guards in the SEC, transfer from Florida. And a lot of it, let's face it, was done because Nebraska can pay players now. Well, yeah, uh, and and the other thing is – and. and as soon as you said NIL, it reminded me what we briefly talked about before the show. Um, I laughed and I said, evidently San Jose State's NIL package wasn't quite as good as Nevada because one of the things I forgot to put in the uh, kickoff is Chubba Purdy is now going to Nevada to play for the Wolfpack instead of playing for the Spartans of San yeah. Jose State. Uh, he changed his mind. He's, I don't know, one after that like I really, four days. he's one that I really wish would have stayed because I, I do think that you're going to see Nebraska go out and get a quarterback after spring Football. By the way, that was announced April 27th, spring game. Yep, 11 a.m. 11 a.m. kick on the BTN network, I believe. Um, I think that's going to hurt Nebraska a little bit. Why? Uh, just because I think if you had a one o'clock kick, it gives players a little more time to get in here, enjoy the atmosphere, go out to dinner, get up, maybe not at four or you know, really early. I don't love the 11 a.m. or the 7 a.m. tailgate. And let's face it, Husker fans will tailgate at 7 a.m. even for the spring game. Um, I think a 1 o'clock kick gives you more time to prepare the athletes and take them around campus. And you oh, know, You're talking recruiting. I'm talking recruiting. The spring game, let's face it, it's a glorified scrimmage. It doesn't mean anything. I, uh, I'll argue last year's spring game, granted it was a glorified scrimmage. but it turnovers. Was a, it was a glorified scrimmage where like they were getting after each other as but opposed that was, to That was a, the first one. I think this does have the potential to be a sellout uh, because of the Dylan Riola yeah. factor. I think you could get 92,000 people. I just wish um, and if it were one o'clock, you'd have more people, but, uh, more of a chance for team for people to come, you know, that are four hours away within the I, state. I get it. But I also think that the thought process that went into this, and I think Nebraska probably had some say with BTN on when this game was going to be scheduled. Yeah. Trev Alberts turned into a day of celebrating Nebraska athletics as well because there's going to be a baseball and a softball game later in the same day. Right. 
um, and and at at Bolin. That, yeah, it, there was a conflict there. Yeah, and, and they hate, didn't want to bleed Martin. into those. Um, but I think football just trumps all of those things. Oh, I I'm get sorry. it. But I guess if kicking off if your your spring game two hours early is going to cost you a recruit, I, maybe that recruit doesn't want to come here in the first place. I that, that I mean. I, I see what you're talking about. I don't though, think it's going it, it to It is going to be di- more difficult to get them here. But. I think it's a bunch of different things. It's not just recruiting. I think the fans uh, really, it, it puts you at a bind. If you're in you know North Platte, you have to get in the car really early to get, make an 11 a.m. kickoff. Or, you know, you just you come on down earlier Friday night before. That's certainly possible as well. I just think ideally one o'clock would have been better. That's just my yeah. opinion. Um, but it, it all works out. It, it's, uh, and you know, the, Matt Rule will work around it and make it a success. He'll make it in an advantage because everything he touches seems to turn to gold anyway. Well, um, but, uh, and I and that's where I go back to NIL. I just think they've done a good job. That Dylan Raiola certainly helped. I would have liked to have seen him commit, you know, four months earlier just to build the recruiting class, but it all worked out pretty well. You know, I'll tell you what though, I thought about that and I agree to a point. But go back to that weekend in March when Dylan was in town and he's throwing the bones at PBA. The majority of the guys that were there when he was there committed anyway. Yeah. And the point that I heard someone make, and I don't remember if it was Shafe, if it was BC, uh, SIP, could have been any of them. Him not committing until last minute means we got guys that they want to play at Nebraska to play at Nebraska, to play for Coach Rule and their position coach, to play for this fan base. And then... 12th hour, oh, by the way, you get the best quarterback in the high school recruiting class that's going to be your classmate. I I, to, I think that that makes that a little bit more beneficial because you didn't have guys that came to Nebraska only to play with Dylan Riola. They came to Nebraska because they wanted to be here regardless of who was here. Yep. So that that's the and I don't I don't want to make that a spin on it, but I truly I'm not as upset. Uh, with how it all played out, it was an interesting story to follow, to be honest. And you and I have been in in, in broadcasting and and covering sports, et cetera, for long enough. We find ourselves rooting for the best story yeah. a lot. And Mike Schaefer, if you have not seen it yet, of Husker 24-7 chronicles uh, the last essentially two years of the Dylan Riola recruitment by Nebraska in a story that was released earlier today. And it is a fantastic read. I'll go read it. I have not read it yet. Yeah, one of the one of the rumors that I had heard from people in the business was true. Ultimately, evidently, is not true. Okay. And, and, and read the story; you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, it I'll is a fantastic I, story by uh, Mike Schaefer. By the way, they're not done recruiting even for the 2024 class. No. Uh, Kiana Wilhite. I don't believe any relation to Kenny Wilhite, former recruiter, uh, recruiting coordinator. I believe for walk-ons uh, at Nebraska, but. Uh, decommit from Oregon has visited Nebraska and I think is going to visit Texas as well. Um, big outside linebacker slash defensive end type, 6'4", 220, 230. Uh, he would be a good get for the 2024 class. Absolutely. Uh, they're always recruiting. And, and you wonder how they're going to make it work. It seems like they're way over uh, their number, but NIL, again, makes it possible. It, it does, and and we'll see how things shake out after spring. Uh, my guess is, is you're going to see and this is a an uneducated kind of little bit of knowledge and and gut feeling, but I think you're going to see anywhere between eight and twelve leave the program after spring, whether it's medical, but they Have stay to. on scholarship. Somebody's got to leave. They're over. 
Yeah, I don't know that there's that big of a pile of NIL money because you're talking, yeah. you know, 15 to 18 guys that you're going to have to come up with tuition and mm-hmm. books and everything else. Oh, and pay them something because everybody else is getting and paid. And because of Title IX, you can't be you can't be at the same number range that you used to be yeah. at 150. You've got to be more around 120. You and I will never be a college football coach, but if I'm a head coach at Nebraska and Matt Rule, I really would not want my roster size bigger than about 125. Yeah, I think 120 is perfect, yeah. 125. Now, I, I, T.O. would probably come back and say, no, I, I really liked having one 200 in some cases. That's but, good for you, but I, uh, I don't but think I that's think, healthy these days. I think in today's day and age, one, 120, 130 is, is fine. That's more than enough. That's more than enough. Let's get to break. Come back with more. Mike Melby, Tom Stevens, Husker Rewind, every Sunday, 5 to 7. Live from the heart of Lincoln, America, welcome to Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Welcome back to Husker Rewind here on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. You can follow along online on the Sarter Heyman live stream on Twitch, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, or on Allo Channel 961. And all of our guests join us on the Allo VIP line, exceptional service with local heart. That is Allo Fiber. And before we jump into the Big Ten Blitz, by yep. the way, that's Tom Stevens. Hello. He is a, a legend, not only in his own mind, but no, uh, he's, he's just unbelievably talented. Yep. Young man that's... Well, he's pretty good looking too. I give you that, man. You still you look good for your age. <laughs> well, I'm 85 impressive. years old. Well, I know that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but before we dive into uh, the the Big Ten Blitz, I want to give a shout out. And this is this is one of those like we get to do ad libs and all that type of stuff. Um, and I don't know if it's going to get back to her or not, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's a gal named Shelly at the Calvert Salon, and she is the only one that I have trusted to do anything with my hair in the last four years. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point where it's getting too long. So yesterday I went in and I, I cut about five or six inches off, had her cut five or six inches off and it was still too long. And then you used a little to bit give more. your hair to like locks of love. And, and I stuff. didn't plan on getting to the, the minimum of 10 inches of yeah. that. And so uh, ultimately I think we wound up cutting about nine, almost 10 off. Uh, but with man, she does an amazing job. I just, I'm just, like I said, nice. there's no nothing. I'm just doing this free of charge or free of whatever, because you have more than your share of hair. Yeah, I mean, it, it's and it's not unruly fair. and it's difficult to take care of. And if it was, and the, here's the funny thing: I go in, I got no split ends. You know why? Because of the stuff she she suggested for me to buy. So, just <laughs> let's, saying. Let's get to the blitz. The big ten blitz. The big ten blitz. The big ten blitz. The big ten blitz. Northwestern had a really good week. Uh, they beat Illinois in overtime at home earlier this week, ninety six to ninety one. In Evanston, they shot 55% in that game, 61% from three-point range. And you mentioned that's that's going to be a tough win for Nebraska on the road. Um, I, I really am scared of Northwestern on the road. They played a couple of different times. They also had a win over Ohio State. Uh, that one at home, they improved to 15-5, and 6-3 and three in the league. Ohio State drops to 13-7 and seven and 3-6 and six in the lead. Uh, in the league, I should say, 83-58, the win. Boo Booey, 19 points. He moves to third all-time on the uh, Northwestern scoring list. They shot 50% in that game, 57% actually, and 10 of 19 from three. Uh, they're really, really going to be a tough out, I think, for the rest of the season. Ohio State now has Illinois. That's probably going to be a loss. They host them 
on Tuesday. Northwestern is at Purdue on Wednesday. Interesting. Now, speaking of Purdue, the number two ranked Boilermakers were in competition in Piscataway earlier today. Purdue comes away with a 68-60 win. Reigning college basketball player of the year, Zach Eady of Purdue, wasn't overly excited about either scoring his 2,000th career point or becoming the sixth player in Big Ten Conference history to have 2,000 points and 1,000 boards. He called it kind of cool and just another just another accomplishment. Um, I think, obviously, his mental frame and focus is on March and ending March without losing a game. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I think they're way too soft to do it, but who knows? We'll see what happens. He's going to um, win back-to-back big uh, national, national player. player of the year. He's going to be national player of the year. With good reason. Yeah. Uh, Purdue 19 and two overall, eight and two in the conference. Rutgers falls to 10 and nine and two and six in the conference. Coming up next, as you mentioned, Purdue hosts Northwestern and Rutgers hosts Penn State. Both those games on Wednesday. Illinois earlier this week uh, over Indiana. Uh, they beat him 70 to 62. That game was tied at 62 with 129 left in the game. Terrence Shannon had then hit six free throws in a row in that Northwestern game earlier in the week. Uh, the crowd kept shouting, no means no. Uh, he's he's going to have some interesting things to deal with with crowds throughout the league, but he is a really good basketball player. Marcus Dumas also had 16 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, Luke Lucas Good. And uh, Coleman uh, ha- uh, Hawkins both had uh, 11 points each. And now Indiana will host Iowa, who's suddenly playing per- some pretty good basketball on Tuesday. Illinois is at Ohio State also on Tuesday. Well, going down that road, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and and catch you up in a little Big Ten blitz action on the Iowa Hawkeyes and their game against Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor yesterday. Uh, Iowa comes away with a win, 88-78. to uh, Peyton Sanford scores 26. Tony Perkins adds 24, uh, for the 10 point win on the road by the Hawkeyes. Iowa now 12 and eight, four and five in the conference. Michigan falls to seven and 13, two and seven in the conference. Uh, 21 points scored in the second half by Peyton Sanford. And, uh, I was starting to you know, play a little bit better yeah. basketball. They were one that I guess a lot of people were kind of saying, yeah, this isn't a traditional Iowa team. Yeah, they, they're probably not going to make even the NIT or that's going to be at best, but. Uh, McCafferty's got him rolling, uh, yeah. scoring 88 on the road is not a bad thing. And next up for Iowa, as you mentioned, they play at Indiana on Tuesday. Uh, Minnesota over Penn State. Uh, they improved to 13 and seven on the year, four and five in the league. That was at Penn State. Penn State had a 17 point lead and or actually a 14 point lead and blew it. I was thinking of Nebraska's lead versus Minnesota. Very similar. Uh, this one, though, at home, Penn State had a big lead and blew it. Uh, Dawson Garcia. 20 points for the North Carolina transfer. Cam Christie had 17 points. Minnesota, as I mentioned, down 14 points at half, comes back to win it. Minnesota will host Northwestern on Saturday. Penn State is at Rutgers on Wednesday. That's about kind of the extent, I think, of the the, the Big yeah. Ten Blitz, unless you've got another game you want to toss do, in. I want to mention Wisconsin oh, over Michigan State. That was on Friday. Uh, Wisconsin improves to 16-4 and four overall, 8-1 and one in the league the 13th ranked team in the country it was actually a little closer than that, but AJ store 28 points. He was really good. Stephen crawl, uh, 15 points and Wisconsin, uh, has won 10 of nine of their last 10. Their only loss in that span, a loss on the road to Penn state. Wisconsin might be the best team in the league, 
I'm not sure. Pick pick between Purdue and Wisconsin. Per, Wisconsin has the better uh, in conference record, but they're really really good. Uh, they do have a one game lead on Purdue in the conference. It'll be interesting to see who wins that. They did a good job on Tyson Walker. He was held to only 11 points for Michigan State in that game. Michigan State will host Michigan on Tuesday. Wisconsin, of course, at Nebraska this Thursday. Yeah, and it, I think you got to give the edge to the Boilermakers over Wisconsin. I get it. They've lost two. They were both on the road. Um, I I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be interesting. The thing that I think is going to tell me more about Wisconsin-Purdue is Thursday night's game against Nebraska for, for Bucky Badger. Yeah. Um, if they come in and, you know, Nebraska's reeling, licking their wounds to the point where they don't bounce back, which would be completely out of the ordinary based on what we've seen this year. If they come in and, and walk away with a double digit win here in Lincoln, I, I'm going to probably change my rankings next week. Uh, you, you have Purdue number I one. I still right have now? Purdue number one. I do too. Um, I do too. Wisconsin, for, for as good as they are and they're a great team, um, Purdue's got a great team and they also, by the way, have Zach Eady. So yeah, that's my top two, hands down. I think Illinois is an easy third. Uh, and then after that, uh, put Rutgers and Michigan in a bag and just set them on the back porch. Yeah. And like you literally could take, and maybe even Penn State, but then you can take Ohio State, Minnesota, Michigan State, uh, Iowa, Indiana, Nebraska, Maryland, Northwestern, and who knows. I've got Purdue number one, Wisconsin number two, Illinois number three, just like you. I think Northwestern's the fourth best team in this in this conference. Same here. Uh, they're very, very good. They can really shoot. Who it. do you have at five? Well, I, I've got Maryland over Nebraska, but it, I, I, if that game were played in Lincoln, you got to think that Nebraska probably would have won it as bad as they played on the road in Landover. They would have beaten probably Maryland at home. Uh, but I got Maryland at five just because they beat Nebraska. Six, Nebraska. Seven, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan State, Minnesota. All tied at seven. I like it. <laughs> um, and then at eight, I've got Ohio State. Nine, Penn State and Rutgers, and then Michigan's the worst team in the league. Yeah, that's literally almost verbatim what mine is, um, which is really surprising. Normally, you and I have got them all switched around, and I know I'm a big Michigan State believer simply because I've seen Tom Izzo do it for so many years, but I don't know, man. They're still sitting at uh, four and five in the league, 12 and eight overall, uh, but... Do you think they make the tournament, Michigan State? I, right now, I, I would say they're probably one of the first eight teams out. There, you got to think that is Izzo. By the way, is sitting at six ninety nine, one game short of seven hundred. He's at six ninety nine right now. I just think every year he finds a way to get to the tournament. So why wouldn't he? Well, number seven hundred will happen uh, on Tuesday. Who do they have? They host Michigan. Oh, that's a bad, bad basketball team. I, it's hard for me to believe that Juwan Howard will be the coach next year. Yeah, same here. I know he's had his health problems, so you can't completely blame him. Yeah. Um, but Michigan expects, that's a team that's won a national title and had some really good teams even recently. Uh, it's been, the Juwan How, Howard era has been disappointing, to say the least, overall. Yeah, but, but why did people have big expectations for Juwan Howard? Because he came from Howard. the NBA. Great, and it almost but never what works. Kind, where, where did he coach at that he had success before as a head coach? He didn't. There you go. But why, could, why he, is it a surprise he that did he's recruit. not doing a great job? I think it was kind of like the Patrick Ewing hire. At what Georgetown? about Penny Hardaway at Memphis? I mean, flash in the pan a couple of years, and he's a great recruiter. But why did you think he's going to be the end all be all of coaches? Well, he wasn't. Uh, he isn't at least that's at my, this point. What? So I uh, don't know, man. 
Um, I think Izzo is going to get to 701 pretty quickly, too, because then on February 3rd, they've got Maryland at home. So, well, so uh, that would put them at 14 and 8, uh, and that gets you started toward yeah, the like NCAA. Yeah, like I said, right now, I would, I would put them first eight out. I don't think yeah. they're – maybe they're fifth or sixth out right now. Well, they do have maybe the – well, they certainly have a top five player in the league in Tyson Walker. He's not the best player. Certainly, Zach Eady is that. Uh, but Tyson Walker's really good, and Izzo's the best coach in the league. It's just hard for me to believe that they'll be left out when it's all said and done of the NCAA tournament. When it comes to Nebraska, uh, we talked about a little bit about this with uh, BC. They have Wisconsin this Thursday. Wisconsin, Purdue, pick your favorite. I think Wisconsin's actually played better basketball overall, and they have the, the best uh, record in the conference. They're one loss to Penn State. Um, but they, they absolutely dominated Michigan State this weekend on Friday. They've got Nebraska on Thursday. But if Nebraska can find a way to, to win that game, I think you're not going to beat Illinois on the road. And I don't think you're going to beat Northwestern. But if you could get that Wisconsin win, you're going to beat Michigan at home. Uh, you got Penn State on the road, very winnable. You've got Indiana on the road, winnable. Minnesota at home, certainly a game that they should win. Uh, you're at Ohio State. You've got Rutgers at home. You've got Michigan at home. There's certainly, I think, five or six wins there. That well, there you... better be seven or eight wins there because five five is not going to get them in. Well, if if one of the wins, if they're nineteen and twelve, they are not making the NCAA tournament. Even if one of them is against Wisconsin, yeah. Because if they're nineteen and twelve, that many means that they are going to finish nine and eleven in the league. They are not getting. They're in the at tournament. fifteen right now. Five gets you to twenty. That's five, right? Uh, Wisconsin, then Michigan. Michigan twice, so that's three. Penn State, say say one of your road wins is Penn State. Then Minnesota home, that's five. That's that's your five wins to get to twenty. And then I, you and win one game in the in in the tournament. You, well, I was gonna say they've got to win one in the tournament. So Joe Lenardi's uh bracketology. Right. They at, should beat Rutgers at home too. I think should. I think six is very feasible. I don't think you're gonna win more than one of the next three, though. I think Wisconsin, but, Illinois, BC's Northwestern. Point. You're not going to win one of the, one of the next three is actually not bad. Yeah. Well, to BC's point, that's exactly what he's saying. If you can get one of the next three, you're sitting there at uh, six and seven. Let the end of the season play out because it's relatively favorable from a schedule standpoint. So Lenardi's bracketology, the last update of this was prior to this weekend's games. It was on Friday. So the Maryland loss is not here, but he had Nebraska as a nine seed playing Texas Tech in the Eastern swath of the, the the bracket as far as teams that are on Nebraska's schedule or have been that are kind of in this mix of that bubble that we're talking about. He's got Northwestern as one of the last four buys and he has Kansas state as one of the first four out. Wow. I think that's really interesting because that to me, that K state game looms even bigger. Now we've talked about how the losses have loomed and how they may come back and bite Nebraska, but at the same time, uh, that K State game with them, you know, being in that that bubbled one of the first four out, they they sneak a win or two. They should not. All of a sudden, you know, it, that turns into a, a higher profile quad two right. win. Or if they get on a bit of a run and they're all of a sudden a nine seat, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a little bit bigger of a feather in the cap of Fred Hoiberg and the team. But um, yeah, key thing for them to me, they've got to get to a minimum of twenty one wins in the regular season. And I think they've got to win a couple of, to BC's point, they've got to win a couple of games on the road. You've got to prove you can win 
outside of your own arena. If you were to pick an MVP for me, an MVP for Nebraska basketball, who would it be? You would, I mean, it would have been on Tuesday. CJ Wilcher. I would, I would say the exact same thing. He doesn't even start. Yeah. 14 I, points again. He's, he plays consistently well. I thought he would against Maryland because that's, that's where he's from. That's his area. Um, Rink Mask, you would say at times, but certainly at times not. Uh, Kaysay has struggled as of late. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Kaysay, I, I mean, the ankle injury, I'm sure, set him back at the beginning of the season. But this is not the Kaysay Tomonaga that we expected. He's had like two games of the the, the what we expected him to yeah. be. Um, and I think, I mean, I'll be honest with you, there's still he, rest of the year still here. I think he's he's um, his resume for the NBA that he's laying out this year. Um, is pointing to him playing in Japan next yeah, he's, year. Yeah, he's, 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 I never thought he was an NBA player. I think if he ever had ambitions to play in the NBA, he would have to be a point guard. Um, I, I just don't think six one and maybe even six foot, uh, off guards work yeah. well in the, in the NBA. It's still one of the best guys I'd, I would pay to money to watch him play no matter who he's playing for, uh, man. Uh, no, he's, he's fun great. and exciting to watch. Oh, he's been a it's, just, it's weird too, the, the lack of consistency over the course of the season. Like I said, man, that, that ankle sprain though, yeah. Those things come back and bite you. You know, you get just that tiny little bit right. of tweak, and then you get that little bit of pain. And if it gets into you, the back of your mind when you're playing, uh, that's yeah. that was so such an unfortunate thing to happen in an exhibition game. The Lions were up fourteen nothing. Christian McCaffrey just scores, makes it fourteen to seven. San Francisco back in it with thirteen forty nine left to go in the second quarter. Uh, let's talk to the Hall of Famer. I think that's um, a good idea. I, I would guess that he's rooting against the Chiefs because the Chiefs. Uh, just beat his Buffalo Bills last week. So I don't know uh, who's he rooting for. We'll get his takes on the NFL playoffs. The Hall of Famer, Jay Foreman, is up next. Welcome back. Tom Stevens, Mike Melby, Husker Rewind every Sunday, 5 to 7, as we welcome in the Hall of Famer, Jay Foreman. Nine years or how many years? I think it was nine in the NFL. Played for the Bills. I think he played uh, one year with the 49ers. But uh, so does that mean you're rooting for the 49ers against the Lions today? Uh, um, I don't. I mean, I don't consider it a uh, like it was a pit stop, man. I was there for like eight weeks. But uh, <laughs> I, I like Detroit. You know, one of my good friends, Aaron Glenn, is the defensive coordinator. Um, so I would say I'm pulling for Detroit, but if I was a betting man, I think the 49ers are going to win. Jay, let's, uh, let's talk about, I want to jump into some NFL stuff just from earlier today. Um, and, and a little bit on a legacy side of things, obviously Patrick Mahomes is building his legacy and, uh, some of the plays he makes, et cetera, regardless of my disdain for the chiefs and how I, they seem to get every call these days, but Lamar Jackson is a guy that is so exciting. He is so fun to watch, and it's crunch time today, and he makes a couple of plays that don't write a really great legacy for him. What does he have to do to change the narrative, or what are your thoughts on on how he has ended seasons so far in his career in the NFL? Yeah, well, I think that this year, oddly enough, he ended on a high note. You know, it was strong, and he had that, uh, you know, again, I forget who it was that beat. Maybe it's the you know the Dolphins. They beat San Francisco. They beat him up pretty. You know, he played you know phenomenally down the stretch. And then today, you know, just kind of the, I guess the quote unquote play, playoff uh, Lamar. But I don't think it all falls at his feet, right? I think that 
starting off the game, I felt like they were able to run the ball pretty effectively against the Chiefs and went away from it. Like, I don't know why. Um, and you're not going to just run over the Chiefs, but you can systematically wear them down, right? And then um, defensively, they, they started a little slow um, and then, you know, caught their rhythm. You know, you got to think they pretty much only gave up 17 points. You got to you gotta be able to score some points. And then I felt like the, also the offensive coordinator um, didn't call a very effective game. And the only reason I say that is from a defensive standpoint, he was very predictable. Um, a lot of shots down the field. Um, they could have very easily just watched what, what Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid did and, and, and copied that and did very well because they did it kind of towards the end, even on the drive that he got the interception in the end zone that he threw in the triple coverage, which was pass interference before the ball got there. So um, you're right about the calls with the Chiefs, but the Chiefs, you know, were their – I think their experience um, play, paid dividends. I felt like their defense was a little bit sharper. Um, and, you know – you know, you got Patrick Mahomes who who is motivated and, and wants to prove that he can get back to the Super Bowl and not only, you know, get back there but win. And, you know, Kansas City is a hot team right now. It's crazy. As bad as they looked at looked at times this year offensively, they are over the last month, uh, your last four games, they are playing efficient football on the offensive side of the ball and uh, they seem to be getting better. And I do not understand like this. And this is where I know for a fact that coaching, the coaching isn't very good um, in the NFL, and the players' acumen is not very good. If you go back to like a few years ago when when the Chiefs were down to the Bills, and it was essentially Patrick Mahomes was throwing it to Travis Kelsey, and this is even with Tyreek Hill, you know where he's going. Um, I don't even think they had an incompletion today. After after about eight passes in a row or eight passes that he catches, you should probably think about double teaming him and maybe mixing up your coverages. And every time he needed a play, he went to Patrick Mahomes. And so as great as they are, which they're, you know, obviously two first ballot Hall of Famers and, and will be in the conversation of being one of the better players ever in their position, uh, rightfully so. Uh, the defense of the Ravens that was, you know, quite frankly, supposed to be the best in the league today did not show up especially at home, uh, you know, against a team that they felt like they should have beat. I, I hope the conversation isn't about Lamar, the MVP, playing poorly today. Yeah, he had the one pick, but uh, if Zay Flowers gets in the end zone, I think that's a different game, uh, and, and they probably beat the Chiefs. I didn't think the Chiefs played overly well. What would you make of the, the pregame stuff? I don't know if you heard about, you know, Travis Kelsey kicking Justin a tucker out of his area and like picking up the ball and throw it. Is that something you remember happening in pregames when you were playing in the league? Not really. Um, I'm sure it happened. You know, you know, there was a little, you know, you, you know, uh, you guarded the 50 yard line pretty good with the, you know, when we played the dolphins or when the Raiders came in, but you know, generally, you know, none of that stuff is going on, but that's game, gamesmanship, you know, that's, that's the, uh, you know, the defending Super Bowl champion that, that feel like they're being disrespected in some form or fashion, um, you know, marking their territory. It didn't matter where they were at. And I don't think it had anything to do with the game, but I definitely felt like the Chiefs were trying to play with an edge. Now, I felt like the Chiefs were more strategic with it, and I think it was part of their game plan to try to get the Baltimore Ravens to get out of their um, – mindset or framework and then get you know they drew a you know they drew a taunting penalty uh with flowers they had a you know van travis van Noy got the um you know the, the shove on kelsey you know the second guy always gets caught and there's a couple other ones as well and so um you know that's just the experience of the chiefs 
and that's just part of the game. And that's a learning experience for this Ravens team. They'll be back because they got the, you know, the, if you want to say the second best weapon in the league and Patrick Mahomes being number one, uh, they're definitely going to be back. Now, there's things that they need to do that's simply been plaguing them throughout Lamar's career is you have to be able to play to his strengths when it's money time. Stop trying to make him into a duel with Patrick Mahomes. You know, you should have been some bootlegs, some rollouts, uh, changing the pocket, um, you know, flat, you know, flat curl seven, you know, some crossing routes and and stuff like that. And along with, you know, sticking to the running game uh, and then it crashes. So, you know, for for Baltimore, they 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 faced a team that was hot and they faced a coach and a player and a, well, and a whole team. But the coach and a player and, and, and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes that you have to beat them. They are not going to give you the game. And that's what makes them so hard to beat. That's what made Tom Brady so hard to beat. When Patrick Holmes needs to be a quote unquote game manager, he does. And then when he needs to, you know, uh, go for the dagger in the heart, like he did to, uh, to Scantley there, he'll do it. And he has enough confidence now in his defense to where he can take more calculated shots like that under pressure. And Andy Reid believes in what, what Spagnola and, and those guys are doing on defense as well. Husker Hall of Famer and co-host of Old School here on 93.7 The Ticket, Jay Foreman, joining us on the Aloe VIP line, brought to you by Aloe Fiber, exceptional service with local heart. Um, Jay, I want to ask you a little bit about the head coach of one of those guys you just mentioned. You said Tom Brady, guy that gets it done. Um, Bill Belichick, I thought, would be one of the most sought-after head coaching candidates in the NFL. It seems as though that's not the case. Are you surprised by what seems to be the lack of interest in him and the fact that he may not coach next year? Uh, not really. I mean, I think you know what it is. He's so successful, and he's done it one way that people are like, have that in their building, and it's a, it could be a turnoff. So it's like you're so successful. They 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 know you're not going to be able to replicate that, right? Because there's, there's only one Tom Brady that ever graced the you know, NFL field. And so, obviously, you see that's a big part of it. And with Bill Belichick, you know, he generally brings his crew with him, you know, and takes the, over the organization. And sometimes, when you, depending on who's interviewing him and upper management and ownership, that's not what they want. Because right now, you've seen a lot of coaches that can, can connect with players along with be very demanding. And Bill Belichick, you know, obviously, if you listen to Danny Amendola, it was a very, like, uh, workplace-type environment. And that's what uh probably doesn't really work and then also you think you know where he interviewed at you know with atlanta if it didn't happen early it wasn't going to happen at all the last two last two teams seattle and the commanders obviously they're waiting this long they have their eyes on or have a deal somewhat in place for coordinators or they would already hire their coach and so um you know i, I think bill belichick would be in somebody's studio um and then when a team realizes they need a true leader uh, he'll be there. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been surprised if he ended up in Philly, um, and and he might just be there in a, in another year or two. So he'll he'll coach again. But, I mean, let's get that straight. Um, I am surprised also that you know DP you know talked about the Commanders, um, you know trying to you know right the shift, but they have a very young uh, GM that they just got from the 49ers. So he's going to replicate kind of what they did. Uh, with the coordinator and, and Kyle Shanahan and probably get Johnson here from the Detroit Lions. So, um, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that, you're, you know, the best coaches are going to get hired. You got to think, it's not only Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel is out there as well, um, who is definitely young enough to connect with players. 
but sometimes, uh, you know, your, your longevity and, um, I wouldn't say your reputation, but your winning reputation sometimes works against you, which is the weirdest thing ever. You should want to be, have a winner in your organization because he will help you 10 times more than just the wins and losses, right? It'll be how you, how you go about your everyday business, how you treat people, so forth and so on. And so, you know, I think a lot of these guys that are making these hires are trying to look for the next great, I guess, McVeigh or, you know, whoever, you, you know what I mean? These guys, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they'll, they'll have to double back around, tail between the leg. And then next thing you know, they got to hire like a Bill Belichick or, or Mike Vrabel or somebody like that. And then, um, you know, and, and then they just have wasted, you know, sometimes two or three years, you know, however long before they fire them. The sad part about this is sometimes it's collateral damage and the collateral damage is, you know, say like a guy in my position, like I'm in a sixth, seventh year or something like that. And you know, the end is, you know, within say two, three, maybe four years. And then next thing you know, you get caught up in the wash and they bring in a new coach. When you, if you brought in a veteran coach that really is trying to win, you know, that then you kind of can extend your career. Otherwise, then sometimes you're sitting at the, at the, at the, at the house on the couch. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're wanting to get back in and then you don't get back in. I would think if he wants to get back in, he'll get back in. Well, we'll see on Bill Belichick uh, talking with the Hall of Famer, Nebraska Hall of Famer, spent nine years in the NFL and co-host of old school Jay Foreman. Um, You were involved in the recruitment of Dylan Riola and I'm sure others under Matt Rule. And he thanked you at the press conference on signing day. It's good to have players involved. How much do you expect that to continue to go forward to use former players to help recruit? Oh, I mean, I think they, you know, I think, listen, I didn't do much. I mean, I've been knowing Dylan and Dom since, you know, we've been in college. And, and like I said, you know, our dads went to college together. So there's a history of connection and, 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 um, you know, I, I, you know, I love Dom like a brother and Dylan and Dayton and, and his whole family are just family to me. So, you know, it would be odd if I didn't help and try to, and it's an unbiased opinion. I feel like Dylan has a tremendous opportunity to, um, you know, get Nebraska back to respectability. And then also then that would create a lifelong legacy Things that I wasn't and, and his dad weren't, weren't coming to college with a, I wouldn't say with, with a clear pathway and an easier pathway to reach those. Right. Because when we played this national championship or bust, well, we won so many national championships. You're just a part of the, the, the machine that kept going. And so it was a little bit harder to um, differentiate yourself. Now, when you're the quarterback, number one recruit, so forth and so on, um, you have the big flip, probably one of the bigger flips in what the last five, 10 years. And that's it. But I, I you know, I think, you know, Matt rule and those guys are trying to recruit the best players in the state of Nebraska or wherever it may be. You know, they got Ken Clark's kid, I think coming from uh, Idaho, I think, or somewhere like that. He's here. He's a great athlete. You had, you know, he talked to, I think, you know, at least, what I gathered, you know, he talked to Abdul Muhammad. I know he was bringing down a lot of his kids and they've offered some. Uh, I think Rashawn Jackson has talked to him. Um, obviously, you know, with Caleb Benning, you know, he had, you know, he's going to talk to Damon as well and probably was able to get some intel on him. I know they have a, you know, somewhat of a relationship with Steve Warren and stuff like that, you know, or, you know, probably obviously know him. Steve's kids getting recruited. And there's some coming up the pipe. I think uh, Tim Carpenter's son got offered, Brandon Mulberry's son. These are guys that I'll, I'll, I'll play with and have a, you know, close relationship with that we talk about the program and talk about the difference between the last regime and, and the new one with uh, Matt Rule. And, you know, I just give my honest opinion. You know, their family and what they do is more important than anything that I can say. I, they ask, I answer. I don't 
offer any advice. But with Dylan and stuff, it, you know, I felt like it was a great situation, not only for him, and then any way I can help the program first. And then obviously, you know, you know, Dom and Dylan and his family and Donnie as well, you know, I think it's a plus. So, you know, I, I think Coach Rule and those guys have, is, you know, it's shown that they can recruit and they'll work at it. And, um, you know, they have an eye for talent or the talent that they like, and they're, you know, willing to, you know, um, you know, look at guys. If you have suggestions, you know, I don't ever try to be one of those guys, you know, to try to dictate the roster. I just, if they ask, I, I'm, I'm more than willing to help. Jay Foreman joining us on the Allo VIP line, co-host of Old School with DP, Husker Hall of Famer as well. I We haven't talked to you a whole lot, in, in, much at all, actually, since uh, the transfer market opened up and we got quite a few pretty nice little pieces in that transfer portal. What are your thoughts on how the coaching staff did uh, filling some needs uh, here in the last, say, month? Uh, I mean, I think they did good. I think, you know, when you look at uh, Jamal Banks and um, the receiver from Texas, you know, and then obviously you got uh, the, you know, Dowdell, the running back. I mean, you, you, you address some needs from, you know, a depth standpoint, and then you got some guys that have played a lot of football, been productive. So that's what you want, right? And they seem like they're good kids that are going to fit into each of those rooms and provide leadership and production without stymieing the, the, the development of, you know, or, you know, of, uh, you know, Johnson in the running back room or Malachi Coleman, Lloyd or Doss or any of the receivers, they're going to, they're going to do what's right, right. They're going to try to hopefully leave their mark. And then, you know, when you get, I think Mazuka where, you know, he was, I guess, you know, thought that he was going to be a, a transfer portal guy to Nebraska, you know, last year, I think, or something like there was a connection. Then obviously the way it came down to the last minute, he chose Florida, um, had a chance to come back here, and he, you're getting an SEC starter, and that's great. And then um, you know you had Hill, the corner, that's the transfer portal guy who kind of was like an early you know or early commitment thing, you know big long corner. Dad is dad was his mom was a Division one player. Dad obviously played in the NFL. Leroy, uh, linebacker as well. Um, you know he's a, he's a sneaky good pickup. So I think they addressed the needs that they needed. Um, and I think they did it through, you know, continue along of looking for what fits what they need. And they, and the one thing I really like is if everything works out well, you know, you know, you address, you know, positions and needs, but then also obviously we're going to, we got a young quarterback room, right? You got two freshmen, Daniel Kalen, Dylan Raiola, Harburg, right? So even if Harburg rolls out there, he ain't no star. He, he's not no veteran, right? He's like, you know, you know, slang, you're not a veteran. So then, you know, so what they did is they addressed areas that they can make anybody that's going to be the starter or plays the transition, you know, the, the comfort, right? You got a veteran offensive line that's played a lot of football together, right? You got a veteran guy coming in that you assume is going to push for starting position and start at the guard position. You expect Teddy Perhoska to be better, Bryce Benhart keep getting better. You got Turner Corcoran coming back. You got Ben Scott. You got this dude that came in here from Florida. You know, that's a pretty good place. And you feel like the tight end should be better. They have to be better, right? And then you got, a, you know, the depth of receiver. And then you got, you know, um, you know, Gabe Irvin coming back. You got Johnson. And then you got Dowdell coming in. So then, you know, the running back court, you know, just improved not only from health-wise, which is essentially Gabe Irvin, if he could stay healthy. You got the experience last year with Johnson. And then you bring in Dowdell that's coming in here with next-level talent. And then, you know, obviously with the quarterback room. So to alleviate some of the uh, – I guess choppiness of the offense or, you know, lack of explosive plays, 
they went out and developed it, and then also did, they didn't get too far away from their, uh, at least in my opinion, you know, their their identity, right? Yep. They want to be physical. They want playmakers. They want good guys, um, you know, in the locker room. And I think they got all that is the way it looks right now. Well, yeah, and you add to the fact that they were already a top 20 defense. They added a few pieces there. Uh, you just take mild steps, just a couple steps forward on offense. You'd like to think uh, they could win six, seven, maybe eight games. Um, the Lions now up 21 to seven over the 49ers with about 541 left to go in the second quarter. Um, that kind of, it's hard for me to root for the Packers or the Bears being, you know, a Minnesota Viking fan growing up. I, I don't feel the same way about the Lions. I'm actually rooting for the Lions. So I, I hope they can get to the Super Bowl. That'd be an awesome story. Yeah, I, I mean, they're, 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 they're legit. I, tried, I mean, I, I, I talked to Aaron Glenn. I, you know, I'm not big to, you know, name drop or nothing, but I know I know what Aaron Glenn's made of. I do know that. Yeah. Me and him been through some hard times. <laughs> and listen, he might be a little dude, but that dude is feisty and he is on point. I know. I just knew what the, what what these guys are made of in that locker room, just for simple of going against Dan Campbell, watching him, listening to his message deeper than, you know, the quote that everybody was laughing at. You know, I knew exactly what he was thinking. And then when you got Aaron Glenn and those guys, I knew that these guys, they're not going to go out to San Francisco and lay down. They have nothing to lose. Yep. And when you have a team that's nothing to, that has nothing to lose and everything to gain, they are dangerous because they have a killer mindset. Now they're, you know, so if they can finish the deal, then uh, yeah, not only is it a great story, but that's a team you know. That's not a team you want to play. No, that is, I'm just. I mean, that is not a team that you want to play because they are talented. They've drafted well. They've done everything that Detroit usually didn't do. Right? Yeah. Just look at the Bears. I mean, they, they the Chicago Bears are still Chicagoans, and Detroit just found a way through a kind of a quarterback that got disrespected. And he's on the cusp of possibly taking another franchise that is just a few years of you know past going 0 16 uh, in the NFL. Yeah, uh, Jared Goff's a great story. Dan Campbell's a great story. The Lions themselves are a great story. Hadn't been to the playoffs for 32 years. If they win the Super Bowl, I think people are a little tired of the Chiefs. I mean, not I don't have a problem with the Chiefs, but uh, I think the Lions would be a great story. It'd be so much fun to watch uh, them play in the Super Bowl. Jay, the Hall of Famer. Spent nine years in the NFL and, of course, co-host of Old School. We appreciate the time. Thanks for being on. Yeah, yeah, no sweat, man. And I always enjoy, you know, talking to you guys. And uh, we'll see how the rest of these games go. Yep. All righty. Thanks, Jay. There you go. Uh, Jay Foreman, uh, Nebraska linebacker, won a national championship, played with uh, Dominic Riola. I I thought that was interesting uh, that, you know, hey, I wasn't pushing anybody on him, on anybody. I just knew uh, Dylan Raiola, known him for a long time. Obviously, he knew Dom very well, yeah. and uh, helped out a little bit in recruiting. It yeah, was, you know, I, I I like his comment where he said, you know, I'm not trying to name drop here with Aaron Glenn. Yeah. Um, just Jay, so you know, tomorrow I, I'm going to name drop that I was having a conversation about <laughs> football with Jay Foreman. Well, he knows a few people <laughs> in the league. I mean, for crying out loud, his dad He's, is one well, of the best running backs of all time. Yeah. Uh, so well, he's, Jay, he's, Jay's just one of the best people you'd ever want to meet and hang out with. Yeah. And we're oh, fortunate enough he, to know him. Man, so we're lucky to have him on a uh, good conversation with Jay Foreman. Let's get to break and come back with our final segment. Tom Stevens, Mike Melby. It's Husker Rewind every Sunday, five to seven. 
Live from the heart of Lincoln, America, welcome to Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. It's actually not Ticket Weeknights. We just use that because we're stream only yeah, we, uh, we, for another week. NFL playoffs are on the radio version if you're driving around in your car right now, unless you're listening on an app like on, I don't know, YouTube or or Facebook, or Twitter, or Twitch, or maybe you got Aloe on your phone on the Watch Anywhere thing and Channel 961. Uh, you can be listening to us, not on your radio, but uh, NFL Playoffs on the radio, we're on the stream. Next week, we're back on the radio uh, and stream. The following week, Super Bowl Sunday, let's face it, if we did a show, if Tom Stevens right there and myself, Mike Belby, did Husker Rewind on Super Bowl Sunday, we would spend the entire game with the mics open, uh, completely unfiltered watching the Super Bowl and not paying attention to the radio. So we're Which not- might actually be pretty good radio. <laughs> I actually I think know. it would be interesting. Our mouths would be crammed full of hot wings and, and other things. Oh yeah, like barbecue little smokies yeah. and meatballs yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, so no no show no show uh, Super Bowl Sundays. Uh, no next week we will, but in two weeks for Super Bowl oh, Sunday. Right. Uh, uh, no show. There have been years where they did take they have, yeah. They did did go right to the Super Bowl, but this is a two week break this time. Yeah. Uh, but so we'll uh, be yeah, back so- next week. Uh, but not the week after. Yep, and then uh, a run up to uh, May nineteenth. Yeah, and then uh, then a little bit of a hiatus to to yeah, catch we'll take, up on uh, some family stuff and yeah, there you go some some time to just enjoy life. Uh, we've always done the show all year long, but this year we're going to take a bit of the summer off, not the whole summer off. No, but no we'll be back summer. in time for uh, yeah. for fall camp and football. So, um, just to finish out the show, I thought it was interesting if you saw it in the paper today, John Cook's comments on the season, the Husker volleyball season and how it went and his explanation on why Nebraska took a few transfers uh, that they normally wouldn't and how coaching in general has changed because of NIL. Um, obviously really proud of this team. He, he talked a little bit about Harper Murray and explaining her comments saying, yeah, because she did take some criticism a little bit. Uh, during the presser after the game, after Texas had dominated Nebraska, yeah, we're going to win the two, maybe three championships. No, I, she said we're going to win the next three. Yeah, and I, <laughs> there was no two, and yeah. then, and then Becca yeah. Alec with her comment afterwards that we can't yeah. say on the radio. Yeah, and I love that. And Cook said I love it as well. It's part of the reasons I, one of the reasons I recruited these girls is their confidence, uh, their ability to play at a really high level and then back it up. Oh, but yeah, Texas was really good and a much older team. And Nebraska's kind of taken a step in that direction a little bit. He did say, that is John Cook, hey, if nobody had left, we wouldn't have taken anybody from the transfer portal. But te- girls did leave. Allie Batenhorst just announced that she's going, she's just going to play beach volleyball, but then she's going to USC. Um, Caroline Juravicious is going to Penn State. Uh, they lost a middle blocker to Penn State as well. Uh, so they had... They had no choice but to dip into the transfer portal. Yep. Uh, and he did mention that as John Cook, that it seemed like in years past, you were able to enjoy the final four a little bit more. Now you get home and girls transfer and you have to, you know, you have to work again and recruit and replace those girls. Yeah. Maggie Middleson and uh, wound up at Penn State. Hayden yeah. Kubik left. Uh, so Is Middleson on a basketball scholarship at Penn State or a volleyball scholarship? Uh, I don't I, know. I have no idea. Because at Nebraska, she was on a basketball scholarship. Yeah, and she's going to try to play both at Penn yeah. State there. I, yeah. Yeah, more power to her, man. The young lady is a tremendous athlete, and we wish her nothing but success. All the girls that transferred out uh, this year wish them nothing but success, but it opened the door. It'll be the first time since John Cook's been here. You know, he kind of took a little bit of heat about 
throwing some shade towards teams like Texas and Penn State and Wisconsin that bring in six transfers a year. Yeah. And, you know, that's not the way to build a program. And this is going to be the first time ever he has had more than two players that transferred in on his roster in a given season. And he'll have three next year with the middle blocker that we just added. So, Uh, time for a get off my lawn nomination. Do you have one? Oh, yeah. The list is long. Um, Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes, uh, the little Penchinko kid. I'll tell you what, he plays as hard as anybody. Total respect to him. But Travis Kelsey, the, it, it, the whole Kansas City, just no, the get chefs, off my lawn, man. The chefs. The chefs, get off my lawn. Get I don't like them either. Um, I, I'll just uh, pick the same guy I picked uh, all season long, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> you can get off my lawn. Go to get the NFL. Well, and the funny thing is, I do think this is going to be kind of reminiscent of Pete Carroll and USC, and I'm not going to be surprised when everything is said and done if Michigan vacates or has to vacate the title. I understand why they did it. But it'll be four years down the road. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll have to vacate anything. I think the NCAA has lacked a spine uh, for its entirety. Yeah. And why would it's that one change? Of the, like, it's one of the most dysfunctional organizations I've ever seen from a compliance standpoint. Oh, there you go. The NCAA, add them to the list. Get off my lawn. There we go. Get off my lawn. Uh, fun show. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, and we'll talk about Husker football and basketball, as we always do. Uh, maybe there'll be some Husker baseball news. It looks like they finally settled on the roster. I think the final cuts were made. Um, so I'm happy about that. Yep. Um, yeah, first practice was yesterday. 25 new players for Husker baseball. Yeah, um, but the, the the key thing to me is the guys that are back are guys that like needed to be back. They have the chemistry. They have the formula that that Will Bolt and and Rob Childress and Lance Harvell want to to right. run this program by. They 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 know what the culture is. So I, it's going to be interesting because. You and I both know, man, as hard as Coach Bolt, Coach Harvell, and Coach Childress work and what they demand out of their players, I, I have to think, man, this is going to be a, a fun season to be a Nebraska baseball fan. And we will have Lance Harvell on during the season. He's the best. Yeah, as a uh, matter of fact, I think, weren't we going to try to get him for today? We but were going to try to get him. He had a prior but, commitment. Uh, he, he's got a lot of stuff going on. There's not much <laughs> time before the do. season <laughs> starts. Uh, but he's going to be very willing, I think, to talk to us throughout the season. Uh, and he's always great. Um, we'll see. This is a this is a team that doesn't, I don't think, have the major leaguers that last year's team might have had or the home run hitting power that last year's team. But I do think uh, it does have more depth. I think it had the top-ranked JUCO class in the entire country. Yep. Uh, there's not a lot of schools that recruit the JUCO ranks as much as Nebraska still does. Uh, and they're missing out. I think when COVID hit, people started ignoring the JUCO ranks more and more and went more to the transfer portal and the high school ranks. But there's some really good players still at the JUCO level, and Nebraska's going to continue to recruit those guys. I just think this team will have more depth. I, I don't think that they'll be as maybe physically imposing as some teams before, but I, I'm hoping the, the pitching staff and the depth prevail for this team. Yeah, and I want to take a quick look here at, at the roster that's posted because I want to make sure that a couple of guys are still on the roster. Um, and, and and it's one where I'm kind of like, I, I really hope that they finally come into their own and become 
what you thought they could. And one of them is a right-handed pitcher out of Elkhorn, Nebraska. Drew Christ, Drew Christel. This looks like uh, his year. He's a guy that step has, up. like, his stuff is good. His stuff is, is you know, first three or four rounds of the Major League Baseball draft, good. Yeah. Um, and, and he's just had things. He just hasn't been able to, to do or to have the results that I think we all thought he might, but he's the one guy that I'm just, I'm so excited to see what, what this year brings for him. Uh, all the experience that he's got three years in the program, having Rob Childress be the guy uh, that's going to work with him day in and day out uh, and, and be his position coach. I just, I'm really excited to see what he can do, but this roster, man, um, <laughs> let's face it. We know they're going to play hard. They're not going to hit 97 home runs again this year, but uh, it's going to be a great team to watch. Uh, we're leaving. We'll be back yep. uh, next Sunday and every Sunday, except for two weeks from tonight, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we will not be here. But back next Sunday, 5 to 7, Mike Melby, Tom Stevens, Husker Rewind. We'll see you. See you.